We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a You know the best way to plan for a podcast? Don't do it at all. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right. Look, coming up down the line, Ted, Ted Knutson, the CEO and founder of StatsBomb, the analytics company, interview with him. Didn't have to do anything there. He just was brilliant for half an hour, and I just sat here being not brilliant. Easy enough. And then, for the first segment, I was like, oh, what should I do? What topic? Oh, I know. I won't come up with anything. I'll just let the listeners do it. And that's what we're doing. I asked for your questions on Twitter, and you supplied them. So, I would like to request of my guests, who I'm going to introduce momentarily, that we try to rapid-fire answer these guys. Let's try to zip, 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 give a punchy answer so we can get to as many questions as possible, because we don't take questions often enough. Usually our mailbag posts are Patreon-only, and uh, I I think that's a mistake, obviously, so I'm glad that we're doing a, a listener question segment here, so let's try to rapid-fire get through as many as we can. Pause on Twitter, pause on my pants. Hold, pause. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PSL. Clive! Hello, hello. We've worked on Clive's mic settings. His husky, deep voice, a voice that can make a Wolverine purr, sometimes doesn't make your speakers purr. So we're going to work on that. Uh, I am the audio engineer, which is why uh, uh, it never sounds right. Just so, you know, bear with me. Let's get started. Clive, you ready? Yep. On a, This one comes from Keenan is home on Twitter, at Keenan Mulvaney, all caps. On a scale from Sanchez to Nabry, how much are we going to regret losing Ainsley Maitland-Niles? Uh, by the way, I think Sanchez would be like, we don't regret losing him at all because oh, hilarious. And Nabry, I, I think it's fair to say regret. So that's the scale. How much are we going to regret losing Amen? Uh, if, if Nabry's a 10, I reckon a 7. I'm hoping we don't lose him. All right. I'm hoping, Paul? I feel as though he may go. So, so a 7 out of 10, we're going to regret losing him, Paul? 
as a player seven as a character four or five that's the bit we don't see i think but as a player seven to eight I would say that we may miss him a lot because having a guy who can fill a lot of roles effectively is valuable. Otherwise, you wind up having to sign guys like <coughs> Cedric. <coughs> um, but like, I also think he has up. You know, he's he's what twenty two. So if he was only ever as good as he is now, he's valuable. If he gets more valuable, then he's even more valuable. That that goes without saying. Um, what I will say though I is, have, I have to mm-hmm. I have to dig into that a little bit. Yeah, please. So why please. do why do we say as a character for? I didn't say that. Paul did, and I think I, I think Paul's saying that because uh, he thinks that all the players are big jerks. <laughs> um, except Rapid except fire, for Shaka, right? who he loves. No, let's let's move on. Let's not dig into that. But what I will say, just super super quick, the extent to which we regret it, you guys, is always going to relate a little to the price. If we got eighty five million pounds for Nabry, we'd be sad we don't have him, but maybe less sad. So if he goes for $25 million, I'm not going to be crying into my pillow about it, although it'll be a loss. If he goes for the $40 million Iwobi went for, I'll be celebrating. If he goes for $8 million, it's a mistake. Let's move on. Um, it's also a function of how they do elsewhere, yep. a.k.a. Gnabry, right? Well, Had he just been okay in Germany as opposed to turns into world class, we'd have been like, well, we got whatever it was, $5, 7000000 million for him. Yeah. By the way, I, I think I should point out uh, uh, real quick before we move on. I love it when narratives collide. Uh, two of my favorite people in the world have have come together to make a more perfect union. Uh, Unai Emery has bought Francis Coughlin. So I look forward to seeing him be the, the domineering number 10 for them uh, next season. Okay. Um, Josh Arsenal at Josh Arsenal FC asks, Paul, if Lacazette is sold, do you see us replacing him with another striker slash attacking option? Willian notwithstanding. Can I interest you in an Edward? You certainly can. Um, there's just no good rumors about it at the moment, which worries me. I would have said, yes, we, we would definitely need to replace him. Eddie hasn't yet done enough. Uh, you know, William gives us some options that maybe moves Aubameyang into the middle. We don't have a lot of money. Uh, so I'm going to go with we don't replace him, but I, I don't think that's very wise. You get an injury to Aubameyang, you got no strikers. Uh, so I'm going to change my mind and say yes, we have to replace him. <laughs> you t- I lo- that that that, that was fun. Guys, an idiot. Yeah, I like the way you talked yourself into that, uh, Clive. Really quickly, any suggestion that we will go ahead and by, by the way, real quick, we we made a point to criticize Clive's uh, microphone situation. But Paul, are, are you no longer using a mic? Are you just talking in your computer <laughs> your computer microphone? Because like it sounds it's like. Off. Are you in Grand Central Station? What's going on? Um, piss off. How's that coming through? All right. Hey, look, you, you you can do the podcast from a submarine. Doesn't bother me. Um, Clive, Lacazette, replacing? Yeah, we should replace him. We should re- replace him with an Edward. And the reason why, we cannot expect Aubameyang to play every minute of every game much longer. And Edward can play left. He can play center forward. Physical profile is very similar to Aubameyang's. Not quite as quick, but quick enough and he's actually a better ball carrier than Aubameyang. So this is a player, as you well know, I hope we get. And I you know, I heard what Ted said after we'd done my section last week. And actually, I heard what Mo said after we'd done the section last week. And I agree with Mo 100%. I think this player has got huge potential. And I hope we get him before he's going to cost a lot more than that. Because if someone like Newcastle or Palace or Leeds game, if we're buying from them, it'll be out of our price range. So let's be brave. Mm, yeah. Um, 
I will say, by the way, if you're wondering what are these sections Clive is talking about, we did over three hours of squad building podcasting for patrons last week, two-part series, everybody involved, Scott, Muhammad had scouting, Ted, me, Clive, Paul, everyone. So, uh, you know, not Tim, because he's changing dirty nappies, as they say, on your side of the pond. Um, but yeah, so so you can jump in for that. And I have uh, some journalists lined up for the specious transfer rumor patron episodes that are going to start coming out so you don't want to miss that so something to consider if you're interested if not we got plenty of good stuff here for free so moving on uh uh clive jc at arteta tet arteta underscore tet says if we trust arteta should we not accept even if we don't love the william signing that he's a plan to utilize him in his team effectively and plausibly actively wanted him to be part of his squad now i'm going to combine this with another question a couple of arsons at Couple of arsons. There's only one arson, my friend. Uh, that's why the song says one arson banger. Uh, hi, guys. With William possibly in competition for Pepe's favorite position on the right-hand side, is it possible Arteta has a plan to move Pepe into a more central role a la Ozil in his prime? Could this be the start of a number 10 revival? So combining these two, Clive, I mean, setting aside our own biases about the William move, if it's happening, and if Arteta is a driving force behind it, do you feel that he has a plan for him? And could that plan be not to use him on the left so much, but to move Pepe into a new position? He could be a 10, and he could play on the left, he could play on the right. All my Chelsea Chelsea mates are generally gutted about him going. They're generally gutted. So, obviously, Chelsea... He just had one of his best seasons, I think, statistically. Yeah, and Chelsea can... They can buy the next brightest young thing, and they'll be fine. But as soon as that young thing doesn't play very well, trust me, they'll be looking at what Williams doing at Arsenal. So... I, I do feel um, people need to think differently about squad building. I don't... I think we're all getting a bit obsessed about ages and... I'm I'm not buying it, and the reason why I'm not buying it is we've lost our patience. We we as fans and as people online, we don't give people time. We really don't, and I include myself. You know, I'm not having it if we if we can't be at Villa or we lose home and away versus Brighton. I am not accepting it, right? And I'm and I think I'm pretty calm, right? So so when we talk about this, oh, we need to buy this age, we need to buy that age. Yeah, it sounds great. When it comes down to it, you want to see results and action. Arteta's got a career he needs to look after. He needs to look after it, and he also needs to think about his age balance of his whole squad. And as you used to know, Elliot, we have many, many below-peak age players in our group. We can afford to carry some older players in the overall squad, and we need to because we can't expect certain people to carry us continually because if they break down, we've got nowhere else to go. So we've got time to bridge that experience gap, and people like William will do that for us. And the initial outlay is not great. So it's actually got potential. And as long as there's an exit plan out the door, then we're good. Mm. Uh, hopefully people are smart enough to work that out. And I should credit John Redmond at JR Shot Who on Twitter because, by the way, the last two questions we've answered are basically sort of his questions as well. So I will just uh, shout out that he, he asked two great questions that lead in that direction. Uh, Paul, can I give you a different one to just keep it moving? Did your submarine sink, Paul? Are you still there? No, no, I'm there. Yeah, no, okay. uh, I, I did have a thought on. Oh, the okay, William yeah, fire away. The, yeah, um, I mean, William has said he wants to play as a ten in the past. I mm-hmm. believe I might have got that from the Gunner blog piece on the Athletic. And as you think about it, uh, like I'm selling myself on William because apparently we're getting him anyway. I don't like the age profile. I, I kind of disagree with. There Clive. is nothing Sorry, wrong with not wanting to make a move, but then once it's being made, getting excited about the player. There's nothing yeah. you should do that. You'd be a pun- yeah. you'd be a moron if we're signing a player and you commit to hating him. Look, do what yeah. I do. Commit to hating him after you've seen him play two or three times. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. 
good formula. So I do actually really like him as a player. I always have done. He always seems pretty consistent when I see him, regardless of what Tim says. And, uh, you know, I, I'm intrigued by him as a very attacking 8-10 kind of player. Um, or maybe kind of in the, you know, instead of the Willock minutes, I'm sure you could live with the Willian minutes. Um, so there may be some options there that broaden his usage beyond the strict uh, winger uh, role there. So maybe there is method to the madness. And it may not matter that he's not quite as quick when he's 34 years old if he's playing as a 10, like a wily fox. So who knows? It'll be interesting to see what... Let's assume Arteta is not a mug and has a plan for him, even if I don't love the age profile. Mm, fair enough. Um so, all right. Well, let's let's try to whip through this one quickly. Mm. Um, do do do. No. Okay. So, this is a hard one. Gun to your head. Who would you keep, Martinez or Leno? Answer should be in less than three seconds. Go. One one thousand. Two one thousand. Three one thousand. Uh, probably Leno, just because he's proven himself over time. Uh, I'm more excited by Martinez. I love his big frame, physical presence. I think he's a significantly better player out from the back with the ball at his feet not that they both don't have quick feet i just think martinez is smarter about it so far but it's been a very short window okay um and then the follow-up question and by the way these, these are from did i say it? when we stand kieran tierney yes we do at when john tweets uh he he says also how much would you take for the other one uh you'd You'd expect more for burnt Leno. Um, so what about if you didn't burn him? If he was an unburnt Leno, would he be worth yeah. more? How do you Probably pronounce it? I, I have no idea. I, it, well, that may off. actually be right. I'm just yeah. saying I'm making a pun about his name. It wasn't your pronunciation. If you're going to call him burnt Leno, it is my obligation to make an unburnt joke. Obviously. Come on. Right. So who, whose price do I have to, who do I have to put a price on? The one you're not selling. All right, so I'm not selling. Uh, so the one I am selling, surely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one you are selling. That's what I meant. All right, yes, so sorry. I guess I'm I'm selling. Who did I say I was keeping Leno? I'm selling Martinez, twenty five million. Twenty five million. Okay, uh, Clive, uh, I got to get your answer on this because this is too interesting. Which are you keeping, and how much are you selling the other one for? How much would you take to sell the other one? Yeah, I would I would keep Martinez. I would sell Leno for thirty million, and the reason why I'd keep Martinez is I just think he's earned the right to stay and play. I don't think there's much between them. I think they're both excellent. I think Martinez has got slightly better, longer distribution. I think he's got. I think the he's got vastly kicker. better, longer distribution. To be fair, yeah, he's got he's got the sidewinder out of his hands. Yep. Which I think it's a real weapon, kick out from long distance. Short distances, they're pretty they're pretty much the same in my opinion. I think they both really lack a mid-range. They're not too bad short. Um, but I just think Martinez has got a good stature. And he's just a nice story. I just think it'd be good to keep the guy that's been there ten years. Simple as that, really. You probably look, you probably sell the guy who's on the on the higher wage and worth more money, right? I mean, if you think oh. that Martinez and Leno are similar caliber. And I'm not sure that we can definitively say that. I mean, the thing Martinez has going for him is he only had to be good for a couple weeks after years of not playing at all. But yeah. if you think they're similar caliber, Leno's wages are bigger and his transfer value is higher. So sell the guy you're going to make more money from 
and sell the guy you're currently paying more money to. Then you get to keep Martinez on slightly lower wages and you get to recoup more money. Now, I'm not saying that's what you should do. There's one flying the ointment. Only one of them is willing to move. You tell Martinez he's not a starter, he's off. You tell Leno he's not a starter... There's no guarantee he doesn't say, fuck you, I'm staying. No, that, that's a fair point. Yeah. I mean, it really depends what, what their aspirations are. We know that's true of all these players. What I will say is we, we have – look, Bournemouth just turned down reportedly, reputedly, championship Bournemouth turned down 15 million pounds for their bang average keeper. So, like, if the keeper market for a Leno or a Martinez is 20 million plus, we can't afford to have 20 million worth of keeper on our bench. It just doesn't make sense resource-wise. So we have to sell one. Let's move on. Uh, Clive, you ready? Yeah, I will say that Leno, let's see what happens with him because, you know, there are rumours that he's um, struggling with fitness and that knee um, synopsis or diagnosis is the right word, sorry, may not be correct. So what's his space? We may have to go into the market. Well, and you, can't, uh, you can't sell a guy with a busted knee. That's the problem. <laughs> we can't sell him, which means we may have to go into the market. And there's, a, I will say now, there's a goalkeeper at Brentford called David Raya that we're linked to. And given our goalkeeping coach came from Brentford, what's his space on that? He's a very front-footed keeper. If we keep both right. our keepers and buy another one, I riot. <laughs> well, they're not going to play Matt Macy in, as a second goalkeeper. Simple as that. He's not quite there. In fact, his contract may be coming to an end. So that if, if Leno's got a significant injury, they are going into the market. Yeah, so right. watch out All for right, David Rayer at Brentford. I'm okay? bored this now. David at David J M R K has a great question, Clive. And it is apropos... Best Arsenal signings of players 30-plus years old since the Wenger era started. Who are the best 30-plus-year-old signings? Can you think of any successful 30-plus-year-old signings in the last 25 years? Mm. I guess it's 24 years, right? Yeah. Um, I can't think. Um, That's going to be a problem for you generally. I can't think. Who? Goalkeepers is cheating, though. But Czech, I mean, look, I think it's an open question whether Czech was a good signing or not. Um, Like, if that's it, and goalkeepers are different because they can play till they're 40. Uh, Would you say the best over 30 signing that we've had in the last 25 years was Thierry Henry on loan for that one FA Cup goal? Maybe. I must admit, this is a Tim-style question. It would probably tell you the names and the dates, whereas I care little about players. It might <laughs> be know. David Luiz, as scary yep. as that is. It yep. might be David Luiz. Is there is there anyone else even close in the conversation? I think so. Yeah, everyone else has been... I can't think of any. How old was Silvestri? Well, I mean, he's not in the conversation because he was terrible. So whatever age he was, he's not the one. Um, Paul, I mean, do you, do you have a, a contribution here? I mean, David Luiz has the, you know, his legacy is in debate on a good day. I think it's going to be really interesting at the end of this season after we've seen maybe the filling out of this Brazilian thing we're doing culturally. If we get William, it's not an accident. He's brilliant. A Brazilian. Uh, we got Edu. We got uh, Martinelli. We got uh, David Luiz. And, you know, if we brought in the Gabriel chap, there's something kind of going on there. And Luis could, his stature at the end of the year, off, already off the pitch, he's a significant force. Uh, on the pitch, if if we can, in his second year under Arteta, 
we set it up so that he and they can be successful. Um, it might be interesting. Mm. It is. It is interesting that like we have no track record of buying players in their thirties because you're not really supposed to. And when we've done it, it mostly hasn't been great. But we'll see what happens. Um, how about this? Just super quick, Paul. We we sort of addressed the the AMN thing, but uh, one point seven six acres at one point seven six acres. Ask Willick AMN Nelson stay sell loan keep sell loan who do you keep who do you sell who do you loan Willick AMN Nelson with William in I would loan Willick um, Nelson probably loan if he's not going to get more time and AMN. I would keep. Hmm. Okay. Um, all right, Clive Blavich, who I interact with quite frequently, uh, both uh, in Discord and on Twitter, and do not know how to pronounce his name. It occurs to me at Blavich um, on Twitter says Blahovic. Blahovic? No, it's got to be Vich, right? I just well, if you want to be a hipster, I don't know. People like that I say Cuccino, that I'm that I'm wedded to the Portuguese for, for some reason. I pronounce everybody's name wrong, but I've landed on Cuccino. Uh, Clive, and that's probably not even right, but but Tim's not here to correct me, so fuck it. Uh, he's got poop on his hand. Uh, Clive, what players do we have that you think are analogous to the worst starters for City or Liverpool's title-winning teams? Stones, Otamendi, Zinchenko, Central. Players who don't really rate, but could still be on a team while better players make the difference? I like this question because it's essentially asking who are the players who we don't rate but could be on a title-winning team if the rest of the team was improved? Are there certain players that you think maybe we don't we don't rate but are adequate to to be water carriers in a title-winning team? Well, Maitland-Niles. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure everyone rates him. You know, he's, 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 he's a bit more favorable now, but he's a, he's a classic water carrier. I think... Um, I know you've only seen a small amount of him, but I think Pablo Marie will have a, an impact as a as an occasional centre back, maybe you know as a helper to allow people to develop younger players to develop. I think he's going to be he's got a bit of leadership about him, a bit of presence. I think he'll do well. Um, I think um, I don't know really. I think if you look at the younger players, my fear has always been the younger players are the ones that we should be feeding in in that way, you know, feeding in as water carriers, feeding in to make sure we end games with the right level of intensity. We've got a number of these young players at the moment that we're not sure what they are. And so we should use them that way. And I think we should supplement them with the with the more expensive players, the ones that we've had to pay probably a bit more than we should have done for them. But you can, you can get away with it if you've got a group of young players that are desperate for minutes, desperate to develop and are playing minutes. Not, Every team is paying as many youngsters as Arsenal. I think only Chelsea and Man United may have done more than us when it comes to young players. And Man United have got, you know, had a number of league games to use, much like us. And Chelsea had some very experienced young players at the championship that had over 100 appearances and they used them until they ran out of legs. So I think we should always use young players as water carriers until they're defined and then we go from there. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, I think. It's a question that's probably intended to to drag me and get me to admit that Shaka could be on a title-winning team, but I don't agree he can. I don't think we can get to the top of the mountain with Shaka and the team. I don't know if I've been clear about that before. I'm just going to be clear about it now. Paul, Arteta Ball at... Mustafi. 
Cool. Might uh, be. By the way, anyway. Matt Knight at Mr. Underscore Matt Underscore Knight on Twitter had a fantastic question, but Matt got Clive to answer it on Twitter. So, ha ha, you cost yourself a question on the pod. Um, it? <laughs> Matt Knigget. Matt Knigget. That's how it's pronounced. Yeah, thank you. Oh, yeah, I um, did speak to him. Yeah, you did? I did speak yeah. to him. Yeah, yeah, you answered it, so you ruined it for him. Well, well done, Clive. Way to ruin it for the listeners. At Arteta Ball, Paul, at yeah. Dino Vicky, Dino Vicky, holding her chambers, the player to move on. Uh, Chambers. Mm. I've always been, I've always liked him. I think he's good on the ball, but I actually think Holding's the actual real centre back. Um, he hasn't necessarily uh, shown his best stuff of late. I think he's a better centre back than he's showing. I think he suits certain styles of play more than others, and we maybe haven't been playing that style. I think he can be better than he is right now. Um, I always think. I love Callum. He's a lovely fella. I just think he's a little soft for a centre-back. I just, I just do. Mm. By the way, credit to DCAFC at DCGunner7, who said, under our tweet, I'm going to answer every one of these questions on Twitter, and seems to have answered every single one of these questions on Twitter. <laughs> I'm going to ask a question to myself now, because I think I'm the one uh, most positioned to answer this. KT at the Team Talk on Twitter says, do you think that there's an over-reliance on stats in modern football? to the point where stats are more important or trusted than the eye test. The pod often uses stats, but have they become too relied upon? Noting Paul's point that statistically Shaka is a good dribbler. If you missed this, Paul uh, justified Shaka as a good dribbler <laughs> using football slices, radar. Quite good. Uh, quite good. He said quite good. Um, he is not, but that's a different argument. Um, here's the point. The reason I want to answer this is I am definitely guilty of relying on stats a lot. And let me explain why I, I think stats are valuable and where I think they aren't. If I watch every minute of a game, and I think a player had a bad game. I'm not going to use stats to say I'm wrong. If I watched every minute of the game and the player had a bad game, I'm entitled to say it. And the stats can show that he did some good things and I can still think he had a bad game. One thing that I think we do as humans though is we over-index big moments. Now maybe football is about the big moments. So if Shaka gives the ball away and it leads to a really clear-cut chance for them and I think about that moment when I think about the game, I'm over-indexing it. And maybe the stats can help focus me on saying, well, he did complete 97% of his passes. He had, you know, most of them progressive. He, he had 12 of our 18 final third entries, created three shot chances. Maybe that helps me remember or reflect on things that happened in the game that I'm not reflecting on because I'm just focused on that stupid giveaway that led to it. Now, you could say that stupid giveaway is more valuable than all the other things. Same with a goal, right? Aubameyang scores goal doesn't do anything else. Well, you yeah, know, that goals are the most important thing you can do in a football match. So... I think the eye test is important. I think the data helps you recall and and contextualize the things that happened in a game that maybe you your brain doesn't click to because you click to the big moments, both good and bad. There's another thing that data does, though, that's really important. We watch every single Arsenal game. Remembering every single thing from every Arsenal game is hard unless you're Tim. We definitely don't watch every single Chelsea game, United game, Wolves game, Leicester game. We watch a lot of football. What data can do, like, for example, I just watched Barcelona win a Champions League time. And Messi was extraordinary. And so my thing I was going to tweet is, Messi hasn't lost one drop of quality. He's as good as he's ever been. Do I know that to be a fact? No, I probably watched Barcelona twice this whole season. Messi could be in steep decline. But I saw him have a great game in the Champions League, so clearly he's amazing. What data also helps you do is fill in the blanks of what you haven't seen. Because, yes, a player can go off. A player can have amazing... David Luiz had an absolute stunner against City in the semifinal. Did David Luiz have a good season? Most of us would say no. So the data helps you. Data should not overrule what your eyes tell you and what you see. Trust what you see. 
when you watch football. Trust it, but understand that the data is valuable because it fills in blanks. It helps you maybe remember some of the stuff that that didn't feel as important in the moment, and it also helps you fill in the blanks of what you don't see so that when you watch one Barcelona game or one Chelsea game, you don't walk away saying Mason Mount's the best player in the world. I mean, you, you need to know if the thing you saw matters. It's why scouting is changing. Because it used to be you'd go sit in the stands and watch a player 10 times a season, and if he had 10 stormers in those games, you buy him and he sucks, maybe the data could have told you the other 20 games he was terrible. So I absolutely think relying on data in the to the exclusion of what your eyes tell you is a mistake, and it is a mistake that I hope we don't fall into. I try not to fall into it myself. But I think ignoring the data means that you're always going to over-index the things you've seen and pretending that the things you've seen are reflective of everything that's happened, I think is is a little bit uh, a little bit inaccurate. Now, I wanted to answer this, and then we'd move on. And in the chat section here that I have on my Skype, Paul goes, can I add? And then two minutes later, Clive goes, me too. So I guess we're discussing stats. Since Paul asked first, go for it, Paul. <laughs> this is a fascinating, fascinating topic. Look, it's art and science. And you don't want to destroy the art with the science. So that's one part of it, right? That's why one of the reasons I like watching a game twice is the first time around, I, I try not to be terribly analytical and just kind of uh, be immersed in it and let it wash over me. And then later on, I can go back and try and prove points with stats by watching it a second time and slay the dragons. But are we using stats too much? Um you have to be careful yourself in terms of not killing your own passion within in the sport. Beyond that, uh, we're not using stats enough. We're look where we were. I remember writing blogs five six years ago, and basically it was goals, assists, and possession. And when I look back on it, man, that was like uh, you know a flint and uh, some wood trying to start a fire versus the industrial revolution. Uh, we, where we've come so far in terms of stats is nowhere to where we're about to go because we're still only playing with the basics. Yeah, we're, and, and some we, positions like like goalkeeper and, and center back, for example, it's still unclear how yeah, helpful they are. And then, yeah. and then you got off-ball movement, and then you got combination play, uh, types of players playing with you. I mean, discussing how good Chaka is is the stupidest fucking thing ever because the question is, well, who's he playing and in what system? And we aren't even remotely on that. And th- this shit's going to leave us behind when it goes artificial intelligence, machine learning, and you point your computer system at all of the videos that went on that day, that week, that year. And they will tell you how to set up a team and the style of play that is most op- like at some stage you're going to uh, reach um, the unity the crossover point where they don't we're in the way and they will just eat this thing up and then you'll have the real question about whether we just kill the game but for now um we're not remotely at at the level where we're using where we've gained all of the benefits out of understanding stats even as consumers as people watching the game but you got to be careful not to kill the art mm. uh unfortunately clive wants stances too clive go ahead yeah, well, it's tied to it's tied to the question. I just I didn't realize it was a question for the podcast that we were discussing with Matt earlier. I think statistics are really important, but you have to know what you're looking for, right? So let's bring it back to Thomas Party, right? So Ted's got a view on him, and it's a, it's a really good view. 
he's not really impressed with certain defensive statistics or attacking statistics. But I'm thinking about him in a different way, Thomas Parr, and I like the player. And this is the main, the main attribute that I like. I think Arsenal need a player that's really good at receiving the ball, that can progress us in a technical or physical way. I look at the two best players for half-turn take-ons in Europe is Thiago and Thomas Partey. Just because he's a big guy that can tackle, people think he's a defender. His real skill is his ability to take the ball and move it, and it's particularly on the first dribble. That's his primary skill. That's the primary skill I think we need. Why? Because I think our team has a psychological profile that requires us to build up some trust to move the ball through the thirds. I look around Europe and I would say two players that we would need would be Thiago or Thomas Partey. I don't care about their ages. I care about their skill set. I then look at the data and I can say, okay, they are the best two. Now, I liked them because of that anyway. But now I can see it. And so I like to see the two. So for me, the psychological profile of a team, a player that drives balance is something that I look for. And that is the art for me. Knowing what your team needs, knowing how you want to play, knowing what you need to get there. How do you give players confidence to do what you want them to do? You want it to work. It's almost like you're writing your own code. When you're developing something, like robots, <laughs> robot applications, for example, you're developing something, you want it to work, so you test it to work. How can I make it work? When the right-back plays in the midfield, how can I make him better? When we play up and we set back to a player and he drives, how can I bring that player in? It comes back to style, it comes back to understanding the psychological profile of your team and your players and what they like doing and finding a player that does the things they can't do. We are learning to play through. We think we're going to play through more. Let's bring players in that can do that. And that is why the data tells me Thomas Parr is exactly what we need. And he can do that for five years plus. Easy peasy from the base of our midfield. Mm. I mean, it, it's interesting. I feel we went long on this topic. <laughs> no, it's, it's an important topic. An important I agree. Topic. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Around. I think it. I think it feeds. I think it feeds nicely just, into the yeah. next no, section. It's great. Yeah. Look, it, it, and and we're we're gonna have to uh, wrap this up because the chat with Ted is brilliant. You don't want to miss it. But let me just couple really, really, really quick, please. Paul, Tony Rosandez at Rosandez Tony. Torreira doesn't make sense in a back three, but he'd be excellent defensively as the deepest midfielder shielding the back four. Is he really a sell? He didn't have a great restart, but he was injured. Is he really a sell? Mm -hmm. uh, disappointingly, he looks like he is. I would have thought Arteta was going to do well with him, and but he's remarkably unprogressive on the ball. I don't understand why. I think he has the skills and abilities but he has been disappointingly unprogressive. So at the moment, he's worth money. Uh, a bit like like uh, Martinez, he's willing to move and there's a market for him in Europe and we need the revenue and we need to reshape uh, midfield so he's a sell. And by the way, I should have said singular singularity, not unity. I know what you're all thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what was on my mind. Clive, uh, um, uh, Jason C. at Jace Corson. Uh, on Twitter, thanks, guys. Love the pods. How do we best set up if we sign Villian and Coutinho and sell Laka? I don't think that's necessarily happening, but front three of Saka, Oba, and Pepe with Coutinho, Willian, and Sabas behind them. I know you guys don't like the Willian signing, but surely Oba needed some assurances in order to sign. So what do you think, Paul, uh, uh, Clive, if we if we did sign Coutinho and, and Willian and sold Laka, how do you see us setting up the, the front line? 
it sort of does itself, really, doesn't it? I don't think Saka gets into that front line if we spend on those two experienced guys and pay them good money. So it looks like we're heading towards a different system with a 10 and, a, and almost like a 4 2 3 one. I'm not sure what's going to happen there, to be honest. Um, I think Lacazette could, could go because there's a market for him. And I think it's linked to a Bamiyang based on what I've always felt that. I just, I've, well, basically, I've not seen Arsenal reach out to offer him a contract. That means he's up for sale. He's got two years to go. So unless that changes in the next few days. So, yeah, for me, it, it, it's a worry. Uh, I would like to see us develop Saka as a left eight. I think in a lot of conversations, he's sort of fallen out of them. I'm also conscious that he played a lot of games last year at Willock, so it's a bit of a concern now. I think that's why they're looking to add some older players in to protect their career. So I think it doesn't matter. Coutinho's a 10 or 11, and so is William. We can, we can do what we like, and I'm sure we will. Mm. Let's leave it there so that we leave time for, for Ted's section because it's brilliant and not to be missed, and it's coming up next. Here's what we'll do. Maybe we'll just make this a week of, um, of listener questions and do a full mailbag pod with maybe even Tim will be back if he uh, needs some adult time. You never know. Uh, so later on this week, we'll do we'll do more mailbag. I think, guys, that sound fun because I think you know. Obviously, we have um, a, a group of listeners that understand football better than um, let's just say some of the people on the pod, and uh, and it's great to, to get to answer some of their questions, uh, e- even if we do so poorly. And uh, and then on the Patreon side, like I said, we've got some ITK, some insiders giving uh, rumors this week. Yeah. I mean, they may not be true rumors, but they're rumors, and we're going to be discussing them. We're going to be doing cotton candy of football content this week over on the Patreon side, so come sign up and join us. We'd love to have you. Uh, or not, because we're going to do more great free stuff here. Uh, we'll leave it there. Ted's coming up. Paul's on Twitter. Pause on my fans. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Ted Knutson, CEO of StatsBomb, with an unmissable discussion of squad building and uh, where Arsenal goes from here. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. It comes up after the break. <laughs> Okay, now it is my great pleasure to introduce Ted Knutson from StatsBomb. He's the founder and CEO. And Ted, it is a pleasure to talk to you and I think a really fascinating time to be talking to you specifically. But before we get started, do you just want to explain a little bit about what StatsBomb does and, and who the company is? Sure. So we're a, a sports data company that also has analytics software. Uh, I started in the football space, uh, working for Brentford and Michelin for a couple of seasons. And came out of that and decided to, to found my own company. And we provide basically the best event data in the space. We're used by, I would say, most of the biggest clubs in France. Uh, we'll end up with somewhere like 8 to 10 of the Premier League clubs uh, this year that use our software. And uh, it's been a pretty good couple of years for us. It's really exciting. I saw that you just released a new XG model that takes into account, I think, shot height, um, which is, which is pretty cool. Love, yeah, it's always uh, fun to like release a new baby into the world that like people <laughs> don't actually know anything about. Like mm-hmm. we've never seen this before. So like that was really cool. That, that was great last week. Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. Well, um, so obviously I think it makes it just a really appropriate time to be speaking to you as we talk about squad building and talent identification and long-term planning in the wake of some interesting news at Arsenal. Uh, certainly some news that's relevant to COVID and the reduction in revenue, but news that also looks to be more related to restructuring the club. And that is that we don't have scouts anymore. Those are so last year. We don't have scouts. All the scouts are sacked. Um, the first news was about uh, Kajigao obviously going, but now it seems that many scouts across the entire scouting network have gone. So before we sort of get into the meat and potatoes of how to build a squad, do you have an initial reaction to this move by Arsenal 
and maybe one that won't have us uh, trying to find the roof of the highest building we can? <laughs> I, I think there are, there are a couple of different takes on this and I'm going to give a charitable take that I think is maybe the clever way of doing things. And then I'm going to give the uncharitable take and, and people can decide for themselves, especially based on future information, which one is more correct. But the charitable take here is that one, like COVID still exists, right? And, and people traveling around Europe may have some problems. Like we're not sure when people are going to be able to get into matches. Live scouts make less sense than they might have before. But live scouts make less sense, period, uh, for a lot of organizations. And some organizations got quite top heavy with, you know, talent that had been around, talent being, being scouts that have been around for a long time. Uh, I talked to a couple of big six clubs in the, in the last 12 months, and some of them talked about how much the old school scouts hate doing video scouting. But really, video scouting just makes a lot more sense for them these days because uh, basically it's cheaper to send scouts around. Uh, you get more work done. Uh, for less variation, you only watch video video of players that you know mostly matters. You can't do it for the academy or even lower tier matches because you don't necessarily have video for that. But for like everybody that is on a first team, you know, it started to make more and more sense even before the virus or pandemic hit that they wanted their scouts to be watching players on video. And the new scouts were mostly sort of bedded in with that. They still did some live scouting, but in those that situation like they shifted those resources now for arsenal i don't know what the situation was but it, it might be the charitable take is they're making that sweeping sort of restructuring doing a lot more video and maybe working leaning more on data and in my experience anyway that's actually pretty sensible that would be a useful way to restructure and then the uncharitable okay. one is that they're getting rid of all of the voices that might be dissent, uh, yeah. dissent against the agent influenced model that is allegedly uh, in effect at the club and thus they're sweeping the deck so that you know Raul and friends can do what they want to yeah and I, I think look it is easy to lean into that narrative I, I think sometimes we are guilty of only seeing one perspective on a thing so I do appreciate you providing a, a sort of counterpoint to why this restructuring might be taking place and I, I think there's a lot of validity to that. By the way, you brought up Brentford and I had meant to do this at the top and I didn't. I want to congratulate you and also apologize because uh, I'm sure that was a heartbreaking uh, promotion final. So I, almost, I, almost made it. Whoever came up with the idea of playoffs needs to be shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I'm an American, so I've, I've lived around it long enough. But yeah, it does feel very harsh. And I, I know that uh, the involvement you had in Brentford, you would have been pulling for them very hard. But I think they're an interesting point because – that's an example of a club with limited resources that took a value-based approach to developing themselves. And you see it got them to within minutes of a penalty shootout to possibly be in the Premier League, which is astounding. So it's a great way to sort of transition to what Arsenal are doing. And we'll put the stuff about agents and, and Raul and Cozy relationships towards the back. I mean, just for starters, as someone who does what you do when you're selling your services to a club, I mean, if you were... <laughs> If Raul was ready to hire you to be the director of football and, and run it, do you have a philosophy for squad building? And in particular, to, you know, not at a Brentford, at a bigger club that has resources and pull, but maybe is also then competing for talent that more moneyed clubs might be going at. Do you have sort of a fundamental underpinning philosophy about how this should be done? I mean, everything starts with your style of play. Everything. And, and this gets lost. But... Should that be coach driven or should that be director of football driven and you hire the coach to fit that model? 
It's the director of football driven because okay. if you if it's coach driven, like what happens is you end up having a lot of waste. And mm. and then modern Premier League, you can't waste. Right? You're looking at an average of like thirty million per player. If you waste anything on that, like that really puts you behind, especially when you don't have one of the bigger budgets in the in the league. Like you're behind at least three, four, five teams in some situations because of the the monetary value of being in the Champions League, etc. Sorry, it's got to be uh, director football driven um, mm -hmm. from that level. And then you find the coaches that are most appropriate for that style of play. Once you have the style of play, then you can figure out what each and every position needs to do. And you can do it from a must be good at versus a nice to have versus, oh yeah, these are, these are flair and we don't really, that's not you know, a 100% requirement. And then around that, you're looking for value. And this is the thing that gets lost. Like you don't just have to sign young players. Like you can have older players that if you get them for the right amount of value, like that makes a ton of sense to you. And the, the examples I give are like, you know, Berbatov going to Fulham for like 4 million. Mm. It, it, even at that time, you're like, that is a crazy price. Like Berbatov's actually really still good. You know, mm. he, there's no necessary reason that he should be going there. You know, even on, on pretty big wages, like that was, that was peanuts. Uh, David Villa, uh, moving just before he moved to MLS, he I think he went back to one of his former Spanish teams for like you know again peanuts, and and those guys can really still contribute at a high level even though they're slightly older. So just because a player isn't you know 22 years old doesn't mean that you don't go sign a, a 30 year old that you think has taken really good care of himself and is capable of still performing at like the 80th 90th percentile uh, around around the way. That leads you into Albamiang and what yeah. you do with him. <clears throat> Fascinating and. And, you know, the replacement cost of Alba versus his current wages versus, you know, I, I don't know, like you don't want to sign him on a Mezit deal, but, you know, two or three years with, uh, with some decent wages, looking at what he's still doing at a very high level and his pace and everything like that, like, you know, maybe that's not bad for us. Maybe that's, that's okay. Um, mm. But then you get to the rest of it, right? And, and what you need to have at some point is a bunch of kind of in and around peak age players looking at 24 to 26 is the tight band, uh, 23 to like 27, 28 is the slightly larger band. Some players age at different rates, but this is, you know, on the population average, that group, mm. that's what you're looking at. And so you want to have a bunch of players in that bracket. If you look at Liverpool, they've been exactly there. And, and most of the best run teams are. That doesn't mean that you can't have some young players that you're bringing in and getting minutes and they can contribute and some older players that, you know, are dressing room leaders, but still quite capable on the pitch. But in general, you've got to find these players because the Premier League is the narrowest of margins. Mm. And so you need to have guys that are capable of putting out like really high levels of output every single week against the best competition. And you need to stack as many things in your favor as you can. I have to I have to laugh because you're like here's the band of players you should try to have and Arsenal have plenty who are younger than it and plenty who are older than it and very few that are actually in it so that sounds they're nailing scary. the average but the <laughs> yeah. average is not what you're going for here you need the distribution yeah, yeah the, the average so there you go maybe maybe they're they're good at numbers but bad at at, at median versus mean or I don't know um, yeah that's that's a little bit concerning I guess um, then. In terms of the age distribution, that makes sense. I mean, for you, is is a huge part of this needing to ensure that you always have pieces in your squad that can be saleable assets to renew? Or are you just looking at one cycle in a vacuum and trying to build the best squad for that cycle? So that that's the other question that you hit. What is your goal? 
Mm-hmm. And and on the Statsman podcast, we've talked about over the last couple of summers, like my goal is not for Arsenal to get close to fourth. Yeah. Like, that is not my goal. <laughs> it's not fun. No. I, I want to build this for first, you know, and, and how do we stack so that we build it for first? Well, you stack talent that you get on five-year deals that ages pretty well. And then you keep churning squad just like the bees did, but also like Liverpool did. And, and you sell your talent at top tier prices when somebody comes for them. You reinvest that really well. You stop making mistakes in the transfer market and you gradually build something that can compete for first. And, and Arsenal can do it on, on this set of wages. Liverpool have done it on this set of wages. It is not like an impossible thing to do, but that's the way that you have to build. And that is your goal. It's not to, to compete for fourth, which is the most frustrating thing in the world because like every time you miss, well, then you cost yourselves, you know, 30 to 50 million because you're not in the Champions League. And every time you get it, well, you're like, oh, great, fourth again, which Arsenal fans have had a lot of fourth and mm. you might want it now, but really I want some first somewhere along the way. Yeah, I mean, you have to get probably a season of fourth and third before you get a season of first. We're probably not going to go eighth to first. So I realize that it's incremental, but that is exactly right. I mean, the project should be an end goal of competing for titles and, and even champions leagues, which would be a hell of a nice thing for us. So then when you look at some of the moves that have been done, I mean, in terms of those very fine margins, when you look at a Cedric, for example, who appears to be more kind of squad player, late prime, you know, on not insubstantial wages. I mean, do you think it's okay to take a free transfer on a guy who's essentially a backup? Or would you say that that's not a good prioritization when it comes to resources? I don't think I hate that one necessarily. Like, you know, Cedric has played a pretty good style of play at different times. Mm. Uh, still somewhat capable. You want to be really careful about how long that deal is, especially if he's on, I don't know, 80K a mm. week. I don't, I don't know what the deal is, right? You need to be careful. If our, You'd assume our it's would, probably a little more than he was making at Southampton, which was, I think, 60,000 a week. So it's probably in the 70 or 80K. And it was a free transfer. So that usually gives you a boost. Yeah. So, you know, again, you've got to be careful with how the money goes. And, and fans are like, well, it's not our money. I don't care. I'm like, look, guys, it is your money. Like your, your club is using your money that you have invested in this team along with everybody else. And they've very clearly shown that they will not spend extra. Right. They are not like, you know, riding owner checks of, of the tunes that the Abramovich is. And that's it. So when that happens, you have to be really careful about waste and overspend and budget. And if that Cedric deal and that extra year on that Cedric deal costs you, you know, say five to six million that you needed to sign somebody better, like that is a knock-on effect. And and these deals that we are seeing where Alexis Sanchez, like the only way they get him out of town is not only on a free transfer from Manchester United, but possibly still covering some of his wages. Last year they covered like almost two hundred thousand of his wages is what I had read. Like mm-hmm. You know, your mistakes are, are big financial mistakes and they will bite you for years in the future. And that, again, also is part of that Liverpool story. Stop making mistakes. Stay tight. If you're going to make small mistakes, that's okay. Don't make big mistakes. And, you know, keep churning until you build the value back so you can compete for titles. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, Mesut Ozil is the big mistake that, that looks like a millstone around the club's neck to some extent on those wages and, and hopefully nearing a resolution there. But just to finish up on the sort of older side of the spectrum, then we'll go down to the younger side for a second. So when you look at deals like Willian or um, Coutinho, for example, which the, the rumor is sort of we can, we, we're looking at Willian, but that means we won't be doing Coutinho. You know, you mentioned David Villa, David Villa and, and Berbatov. So I look at a Coutinho as being more like one of the deals you referenced, still good enough, still young enough, still fits a need enough at Arsenal that you can make that 
worthwhile, even if it's not a value investment in terms of asset value. Whereas Coutinho, uh, pardon me, William, I see as so far outside the age spectrum and not moving the needle enough in terms of quality to make a deal like that, and especially a permanent deal that's rumored three plus one to make sense. So do you have a similar take on that or, or maybe a little bit of a, a different perspective? Yeah, I think that Coutinho still has the capability of being an elite player. Now, whether that's one that Arsenal need, I don't know. But his output and his what he brings to potentially Arsenal and creativity is something that the squad has lacked a little bit. Um, and, and part of that lack is, is intentional by not having Mesut in and around the squad is trying to, to nudge him out the door. But the Willian one, like, you know, his, his next three years are probably as a, a nice backup. Like a backup for for a top half squad, or yeah. maybe you know for a Premier League, you need to be paying as a backup. But if that backup takes wages uh, away and minutes away from a young player that you want to develop, or from it's it's a complicated set of equations there. Uh, I don't like the Willian deal. I could be talked into the Coutinho deal at the right price, but mm. money and value is is dominant across the whole thing. You always have to keep it in mind. Well, so you referenced uh, academy players coming through. Let's let's get to that. So when Raul and Vinay did sort of their on-the-couch interview to sort of introduce himself to Arsenal fans, a big part of that talk was about uh, reinvesting in, reshaping, and, and better utilizing the academy. And I think there's been some follow-through there. You can't debate that. Now, you could argue part of the reason there's been follow-through there is there just weren't good first-team players to keep the academy kids out um, because the squad just got too thin. But I'm curious how you balance investing in your academy players, giving them first team time and giving them a path to developing into an Arsenal player versus selling them on when it looks like maybe they aren't going to make it. I mean, someone like Joe Willock got 40 plus appearances this season. That's a lot. Eddie Nketiah is not, you know, he's not a teenager anymore. He looks like a Premier League player in my view. Is he an Arsenal player? What does that mean if you keep an Nketiah, if that means you lose a Balogun? So, you know, we saw that we moved Iwobion. Now, he brought a lot of money. Um, and that made room for Saka, who, who broke through, and I think we feel really good about his ceiling. So do you have a view about the right way or amount of time for a, an academy player to come into the first team and selling early versus selling late? Because I think fans fall in love with academy players and see the best-case scenario for what they could be, um, and I, I don't know that that's always in the club's best interest. Yeah, there's this fan situation of one of us, one mm-hmm. of us, yeah. and like you want to root for your kids at all times. And, and the right way to run a football club is, is the, you know, kill your darlings. Right? No, one, no one is precious. And for the right price, like everyone's available. Now it sucks as a fan in some ways because, you know, you've got your kit and it's got a player name on the back of it. Um, but, you know, if, if it leans to and it leads to um, success, then, you know, you don't mind so much. And fans get used to that because at the end of the day, fans really get behind success. But they also get behind kind of a, a, an exciting style of play. Like if Arsenal under Emery had taken this squad and just run all the time, like I wouldn't have minded that. That would have been fine. Now mm. they did the opposite of that. And it meant that, that everyone hated everything at all times. Um, we'll, we'll see if like, one of the problems with the, the Academy kids is like the, the squad itself is really unset right now. Like it feels like it's a bit in flux. There's some chaos and some churn that needs to happen. Um, you know, what you want to have with your Academy kids is you would like to blood them and get them some minutes, but you would necessarily like to have them reliable minutes elsewhere that someone else is taking on board so that you can then evaluate that and see what's going on. Um, inside of your own team, 
that becomes tricky because, you know, a couple different managers, different styles of play, different needs. You know, at the end of the, the year, I don't think Arsenal cared that much about the Premier League anymore. And that's going to produce some funky stuff. FA Cup, you know, ended up being a nice success and an unexpected success. And it was a really rough season. I think that, you know, Arsenal's academy needs to be lauded, though. For about five years ago, uh, there was nobody coming through. And yep. it was really frustrating because you looked at City, you looked at Chelsea, and they had great kids coming along. And Spurs, you know, Harry Kane, yeah, uh, among others. And, and Arsenal were not doing that. And now you see that they've got, you know, somewhere between five to, to ten kids that either are around the first team or going to be in the next two years. And that's hard to do. Uh, pegging where those guys are in terms of you know, how good they are is also pretty tough to do. And you run the risk of, of losing a bit. But look at Liverpool, like Solanke, Jordan Ives, stuff like that. Got some minutes, got some shop window time. You will take some 20 to 25 million pound checks on guys that you're not sure of while you get to keep guys like Saka, who, you, who looks mm. like a superstar at age 18, <clears throat> which is absurd. Yeah, and I mean, if you, is there an argument that if you keep them a bit longer and people really get to understand what their actual level is, you're costing yourself money and you're not helping their career either because they may wind up landing further down the table at a lower wage and you may wind up securing a lower fee. I mean, is that, is that the kind of danger that can happen when you give your academy kids more time than they're probably warranted? Yeah, and you also need to make sure that when they are out on loan, they do get playing time so that you can assess it. Search and every guys- West Brom situation. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's a big one. Stop loaning guys to, to Tony Pulis that are supposed to be attackers. Uh, but not just not just that, right? Like, you know, think of Chupa, Akpom, and mm-hmm. any number of Arsenal kids that were attackers that broke through, uh, you know, over the, the previous five years, that, that sort of dead period or whatever. You know, Arsenal fans are like, oh, yeah, they'll be great. A phobie, right? Another mm-hmm. one that kind of found his level, uh, you know, mid to top of the championship-ish, could break through to the lower Premier League. You want to cash those checks every time and you want to sell them at the right time. Mm. Uh, and I think that Arsenal's academy and the people around that probably deserve you know, a lot of credit. And the question is then, you know, are they pegging that ceiling very well? But I will say that Arsenal are, are using, you know, we saw it in a, a presentation up at Leicester at a conference. They're using data to identify their academy players, like current levels. And, you know, are they being challenged at different levels? Should we move them forward or backward in age groups? And so they're spending a lot of time and energy behind the scenes that you might never hear about, but it's certainly happening and it seems very thoughtful. So I think that's a positive. That, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want you to necessarily have to pick your way through it, but just real quick, do you have any that you regard as definitely making it or any that maybe are in that core group that you think it's time to move on from? I mean, do you have any strong opinions one way or the other? Uh, I, I would say it slightly differently, right? I, I think, Willick, you want to be a squad player. You don't want him to have 40 appearances. You might want him to have 20 to 25. Mm-hmm. Like, you want him to, you want to see good appearances from him. You want him to get a decent number of starts, probably Europa League. Is, is uh, that a secret? I was just going to say, Euro- getting Europa League is, for a team that has so many academy players coming through, is probably pretty, pretty beneficial, right? It's, it's absolutely fine, as long as you're playing those academy players. Well, right, Europa yeah. League. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know you gotta make sure that they're getting the time it's it's a bit like that one time where where spurs were just like yeah we're we're not playing our first team in the europa league group like not at all so don't expect that uh so yeah if you're again you know pretty ruthless and willing Mm -hmm. to to just run that out in that competition that's great um so i i think nelson is is one that i'm i'm sort of hard on the fence i want to see him have you know minutes lower down a you know, bottom of the Premier League, middle of the, the Premier League, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Eddie, I think, also needs minutes. 
But I think Eddie is his game isn't quite there right now. Like I've I've watched a lot of him. You know, I'm uncertain about the hold up play. I'm uncertain about the pace. Like what does he what does he do and what does he need to do? Uh, you know, people who've watched him in, in different contexts may have a better feel for that. But me having watched Arsenal, like you know, I I have some uncertainty there. Uh, but Willick, I think you know, would be good to keep around. And and Saka obviously is through. And then you need to figure out like you want you would love for Balogun to to stay and and figure him out too. You know, Ryan Brewster at, at Liverpool made the leap like in the restart, and mm-hmm. he went from yeah, this kid's good to this kid is unstoppable right now, mm-hmm. and he's probably deserves a place in and around the Liverpool squad unless they found an amazing loan for him next year. Mm. And well, that's 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 fair, the choice to- you want to be forced into. You right. want them to to force them for performance. Yeah, I, I think you, you've really hit on the key, too, a little earlier on as well, which is just that what you can't do is you can't just keep waiting to make a determination, right? You have to, at some point, decide, for better or for worse, that they're going to make it or not and, and, and move them on. Or you wind up with a guy like Balogun who says, I don't have a path to the first team because Eddie Anketi is standing in my way, and then you have a problem. A um, couple super quick hits because you've been very generous with your time, so I appreciate it. Um, in terms of some of the rumors, like a Thomas Party is, is a guy that, that divides a lot of opinion. There are people that think uh, <laughs> he's exactly what's missing on our midfield. Some people don't. But I'm kind of curious. I mean, you can talk about whether you rate him or not, but also just in terms of price and age and, and sort of com- combination of skill set from a value-based squad building standpoint, like is he the exact kind of move that you may shy away from? You're trying to get me in trouble here, aren't you? I am trying to get you in trouble. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you don't have. You can say let's move on if you need to. No, no. I. So this harkens back to I think the first time that this this rumor popped up, mm. I said I'm not sure that I would take Partey as a free. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I enjoyed that day. That was a fun day on Twitter. <laughs> and and there were a lot of very angry people that you know, have had had responses to this for various reasons. Uh, but I I kind of stand by that. And this this very much goes back to you. How do you build squads? Uh, so with Partey, uh, people were like, oh, he's one of the best defensive midfielders in that league. I'm like, he's not performing like a defensive midfielder. Mm. And so what do you actually think the Arsenal need? Well, they need guys that, that sort of move the ball and, and dribble through midfield. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm, I guess, but that's fine too. We have other guys. And he's 27 right now. And he's going to go on a five-year deal, I think starting potentially when he's 28 or whatever. So like now you're looking like really uncertain because – People do not respect the fact that the last two years of a five-year deal for like a 28-year-old are going to be usually almost always pretty uncomfortable, especially mm. based on wage. And the other reason why like, I have uh, some <laughs> – on a free, you're paying a ton of wages. And Arsenal have problems with paying a ton of wages to players that are, are sort of you know, slightly better than league average. So if you assume that this player is going to deteriorate a bit over the course of his deal – and he, you know, I don't care, like, if you think he's, like, amazing right now. He's not. Like, we don't have any information that shows that he's amazing right now. He's good to very good. Does he meet the needs that we want? Does he provide creativity that, that Arsenal need? I don't see that at the moment. Well, he's a great defensive midfielder. Okay, fine, but you're just, you're saying things. Like, where's the data? Where's the evidence-based information mm. that says this? And, and is he doing it throughout the course of a league season? Now people are like, well, Atletico is weird. Again, that's absolutely fine. I don't disagree that Atletico Madrid can be quite weird in some of the stats and the data they put up. But you're going from a null case of saying, well, you should pay for this guy because he's great. And then Mm. you have to provide all the evidence behind it. And it's just not there. And so if you're trying to avoid risks, if you're trying to avoid making mistakes Mm. and, and find guys that have upside, 
as opposed to guys that you're signing and probably going to have downside, this is not the transfer that you're going to make. And, and that's, that's my whole take around this. So I think that there are too many uncertainties, too many risks, and too much discomfort with what this player does versus what the squad would need to bring that type of guy on board, especially right now. Yeah, I think sometimes it's about people understanding probability, right? Like a lot of people got mad at Nate Silver, the statistician on the web who, you know, said that Trump had like a 30% chance of winning the election or 20%. Like, haha, your, your data got it wrong. Well, 30% is not a 0% probability. It's actually quite a large probability. You're not saying that Partey couldn't be great, couldn't come to Arsenal and excel. It's a question of like, what is the probability and what is the amount of risk you're taking on to achieve that probability? And so- That's right. Yeah, it's not the same as saying he's bad and we shouldn't take him. Uh, a couple just super quick hits. Genduzzi, it's a shame what's happening there. I'm curious how much you think this is sort of a calamity for Arsenal versus just a sort of shrug the shoulders situation. Do you think his ceiling is as high as some, admittedly myself included, think it is? And do you, do you have a sense that Arsenal mismanages or is it just a case of the player and the club couldn't get on the same page and this sometimes happens? I think his ceiling is quite high. I, I do like the player, but I also completely understand backing Arteta here. And it's not a single instance yeah, that they're pushing back on. It feels like it's a pattern of behavior. And if you, I will say that you know, having been around football teams, I, even early on, I started to respect the, the attitude and the work rate and, uh, you know, having guys in the, that are good citizens, right? And you can take one or two assholes across the whole squad, but that's all that you can take. Mm. So if Arteta feels like he's got to, you know, make some, some noise and, and put some stakes in the ground, like, I'm all right with that. You know, hopefully Arsenal find a, a quite good price. I hate the idea of a, a multi-year loan that gets, you know, maybe 15 million a year and per year in, in back because like he should be better but COVID also makes the market weird and everything like that I'm not sure but in this case I think that maybe it's time to to allow you know some some stakes to be planted and, and be tough on attitude that's fair yeah and I mean look if you're gonna have a dressing room problem if it's Lionel Messi you live with it when it's a teenager it just further undermines the chain of authority and and that can be really disruptive so I can see that last one there's a moral panic about agent relationships being too cozy. Kia Jarabshian being seen in the director's box and, you know, a lot of his players being, if not signed, rumored to be signed. Um, his relationship with Raul is known. Uh, Canalis, I think, is the other one, a friend of Raul and Emery's who was involved in some deals that people shrugged and kind of had questions about. You can't be in the football world and not work with agents. You have to be able to have a positive relationship with agents. I mean, uh, Alec Ferguson obviously had some agents that he was he famously fell out with, but, you know, he he was also in a unique position to be able to have that happen. Are you on board with the moral panic about the Jarabshian relationship and the agent coziness? Or do you think that it's a narrative that people are maybe buying into too easily? Do you have a sense of the extent to which relying on agents and maybe you do them a favor, they do you a favor is, is a good thing for a club or a bad thing for a club? I, I, I know that's sort of a convoluted question, but it, it's all bound up, I think, in the existential situation Arsenal find themselves in. I think it's a calculated a calculus is tough to understand because every time that you know, you're talking to Kia uh, and you bring on one of his players, then the next question is, well, uh, what is, what are we getting down the line? You know, does mm -hmm. he have enough players to like really make that matter? Are we getting, you know, his best three teenagers out of Brazil as a promise that they're going to come here as opposed to Real Madrid picking them up or something like that. And that's, that's like an uncertain calculus. You can't really figure out. I will also say that like the media loves to attach something that's like slightly seedy and just keep pushing it. Right. And I have, I have like serious questions about how often these rumors, which have 
you know, they're constant. They're like every day, mm. like get pushed out there. And for the most part, I think that, you know, I, I always say nobody knows anything in the <laughs> media. Almost always, nobody knows anything during transfer season. I live that every day, by the way. <laughs> I, I've, I've been behind the scenes. Like, I, I know this. And I talk to people, you know, who are friends, like, around different clubs. Not necessarily at, at Arsenal these days. But, you know, I've, I've watched the media. And, and Italy, you know, maybe somebody knows some stuff because that's a very leaky place. But England, I think that, like, so much of this stuff is, is often lies. So once they attack something that feels a little seedy, then it's just easy to be like, oh, well, you know, we don't have much on Arsenal today. Let's run something about a Kia player. And so there's uncertainty in me, at least, as to the validity of this whole conversation. Um, uh, so, like, I, I think that you have to be really careful because agents at the end of the day have their own best interests at heart. Uh, you're, to some extent, their clients as well. That's who they're fighting for. They're not fighting for Arsenal. They're not. That's not how it works. Like maybe Jorge Mendez is because he has a portion of the ownership and some structure of Wolves. The wolves yeah. but, but beyond that, no, you have to be very careful with it. But my, my counterpoint to that, and I, I, I'm not usually the voice of rationality, so I apologize to this, is that, <laughs> is that I think that you know, it's quite possible that the media narrative on this has been strongly overblown. And it is the typical Arsenal transfer rumors just packaged in a way that feels a little bit seedy and is going to get clicks. And that's what they're going for. I, I will say this. I certainly hope you're right. Um, because I think while a certain degree of agent-led recruitment and agent relationships are essential, um, you know, there is a, a point at which it can be toxic. Because the one big difference, Ted, right, is that like if an analytics guy, you know, if a scout, if someone in your organization says, this is a target that we like, and an agent says, this is a target you should be looking at. It's not that the agent can't be right versus the analytics guy. It's that the agent works for himself and his client. He doesn't yeah. work for you. So in terms of interest, his interest is in helping himself and his client first and helping you second. Whereas your own team, their interest, at least theoretically, should be helping the club, right? Agents gradually came to hate our group at Brentford and Michelin because like, they, they just found it very tough to get their ideas floated when we... Yeah. In some cases, if they float you a bad player, it takes you literally 15 seconds to be like, no, we're, this is not a guy that we <laughs> should be interested in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, and that, that's like what data does, right? It makes, it makes your whole job faster. One of the things that comes full circle on the scouting side, though, is that scouting is almost always the bottleneck in player evaluation. So uh, you know, it takes a lot of time to scout guys versus data. You know, once you build up the right structure, you know, it's, it's much faster. Like To watch a guy 10 yeah. times is you know especially live like that takes a very long time to watch the guys 10 times on video less time but still you know you need a lot of talented scouts around the the area to be able to do that so i don't know i mean i i have discomfort about the mm -hmm. whole thing and if it if we end up signing a lot of kia players now i'm like real uncomfortable like this is very scary despite the fact that kia i think is, has been an arsenal fan for a long time interesting well you're um <clears throat> you're on board with arteta though right yeah, yeah, I, I was, I pushed for that before the Emery signing. We did too. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know, know people behind the scenes that had great things to say about him. Uh, I know that like one of his UEFA, I think, uh, projects was working on set pieces. So hopefully that continues on, not just yeah. attacking but defending them. But uh, and I, I think that you know, having talked to people at the club level who really liked him as a player, how bright, how thoughtful he was. Like I hope that that is what will happen. So it's great. Well, Ted, I. I learn a lot about football from your podcast 
and uh, your data being available on FBREF is a way that I am able to educate myself. So I, I thank you because what little I know about football, a lot of it comes from the work that your company and, and you personally produce. So I appreciate that. Uh, Ted is on Twitter, by the way, at Mixed Nuts, right? K-N-U-T-S, is that right? That's correct. And thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure. The pleasure is almost certainly mine uh, and the listeners, I should mention. And uh, just can't thank you enough for coming on. So that's going to do it. Hope you enjoyed this. Uh, probably do some more listener questions down the line this week and uh, some transfer fluff on Patreon, which who knows? It may not be fluff. It may be really cool ITK information. We will find that out together. So we love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 transfer window nil.